2: Connecticut and New England has a rich history when it comes to music and musicians. We talked to a former state troubadour and a co-founder of the New England Music Hall of Fame to find out more. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. i'm brian scott smith when you think of music and musicians you might not necessarily think of connecticut or the other new england states straight away for this industry but that's all changing with the creation of the new england music hall of fame i caught up with christopher anino one of the co-founders of the new organization and thomasina levy a connecticut musician and former state troubadour to find out more about connecticut's and new england's music history to you both thanks for joining us on the podcast Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Chris, I'm going to start with you. The New England Music Hall of Fame, it was new to me, and I understand it is, in fact, still a fairly new organization. Started just back in 2019. Tell us about it.
3: The, the origin of it really is based on, I was on tour with Christine Oman and Rebel Montez. Christine Oman is a lead singer for the Saturday Night Live Band. Her guitarist is Cliff Goodwin. He was Joe Cocker's guitarist, Robert Palmer's guitarist. I was just kind of learning the ropes. I literally started with just carrying equipment, watching how, from a first-hand glance, how the musician would do everything just to have that really good moment on stage and so much work behind it. And frankly, I would watch other musicians. I wouldn't use the word struggle. It's just so much just to be an artist. They literally have to sacrifice a lot. So I realized that this way has to stop. And, and a lot of it has to do with the rules in New England and various other places, too, is if you perform somewhere, say at Clyde's Bar, there's a 30 mile radius that you can't perform and then you can't perform there for three months or whichever else. And I'm originally from New England, but I'm a huge fan of New York and I like how in the village you can perform here, there, and wherever. And there's not really any rules saying you can't. You can be the artist that you're, that you should be. So for me, part of the creation process of the New England Music Hall of Fame was to overthrow that and to allow it so a musician could have a potential flexibility with their creativity and where they could, uh, I wanted to create a platform where they could be just who they were. Then I realized more and more, there's a lot of musicians that don't have the credit that they deserve, especially here. And right here, New England is a big melting pot of talent because you have people coming from boston people coming from new york there's a lot of talented new england musicians here so then i realized well no one's really preserving their memories or or even commemorating them and what they've done like for instance a band which they're not inducted yet but we really are looking forward to aztec two-step those guys deserve to be inducted into any hall of fame they're phenomenal they've never gotten the respect they deserve and you know so then the first class which unfortunately it was the COVID year. Joseph Firecrow was originally in the first class. Now he passed away several, several years prior, but originally we were trying to Planet, so that he would be in the inaugural class. But unfortunately, because of COVID, we had to cancel a lot of the induction ceremonies that year. And the first official induction ceremony for the New England Music Hall of Fame was rightly at the Shabu stage, which is where the legendary Shabu Inn was. And the Shabu Inn was the reason why Connecticut had music. They had people like Bonnie Raitt, Tom Waits, ACDC came in. Uh, like they would come in to these uh, talking heads. Lefty Foster was a genius. Lefty Foster, Bruce John, and they, they were rightly. Inducted in first, along with Christine Ullman, Cliff Goodwin, Paul Gabriel, Bobby Trello from the Johnny Winter Band, Edgar Winter Band. He was also with Grace Slick and uh, Scott Spray. Oh, and and Jimmy Bell.
2: Just for people who are listening, who may not be that au fait with the Shaboo Inn, this is in Willamantic here in Connecticut. And there's now the Shaboo Stage which is also in Willimantic, which is obviously a big place for music. I just want to turn now to Thomasina. She has been in Connecticut for quite a while uh, as well. And as we said at the opening, is a former state uh, troubadour. Uh, I just want to get that explained for, for listeners because we just dropped it into our intro and people are probably thinking, well, that's great. So Chris is telling us all this good stuff about the Music Hall of Fame. But what exactly is the state troubadour? So Thomasina, tell us a little bit more about that because it's a big deal.
1: I thought it was. The state troubadour is, is like, the poet like there's a poet laureate in the state of, of poetry i was the the, the 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 head musician i was the ambassador for music for the state for two years it was a two-year position at the time it's now a three-year position and it was a wonderful two years i got to sing for the governor and i got to sing at the bushnell and schools hired me to do connecticut studies programs and I had an article in the New York Times about me. It was, it was, um, it was a big deal. I really enjoyed the position, and it's, uh, it's a nice way to be acknowledged for the work that you've done. I mean, you have to write a song about Connecticut and, and have a background of a career that says, yes, this person deserves to be recognized and to represent the state.
2: Chris was saying that obviously the Music Hall of Fame was was created by him and his co-founders to acknowledge and to look at, you know, the the musicians and the music here in, in New England and also to preserve it. I mean, do you feel as a musician, as a songwriter, as a singer, that musicians do, you know, get a bit of a, a hard time here in the state?
1: It's hard being a musician. I mean, I've, I've had friends who were Grammy Award winning musicians like... Joe Firecrow was nominated for a Grammy. My friend David Darling, who was a good, who was a passed away, was a good friend of Joe's as well. Cello player was nominated for Grammys, won a Grammy. It's a constant struggle. It's not easy being a musician and earning money unless you're uh, Beyonce or Jay-Z. Nobody earns a lot of money. They might get a spurt of money, once they're recognized, but then you have to constantly be like Sisyphus pushing the, this, the, the stone off the hill. It just never stops. And as soon as you stop, you roll right back down with it. But it's just such a wonderful way to be in the world, to bring music, to bring pe- to make
2: people happy. So it's a trade-off. It really is a trade-off. So, Chris, why do you think that nobody else came up with this idea? Because it's a brilliant idea. And as you said, you know, musicians our songwriters, et cetera. People like Thomas Cena, like Joseph, should be remembered, should be honored for, you know, what they do. Why do you think that, it, you know, nobody else came up with this idea? It's going well. That's very
3: kind of you to say that. Well, I'll tell you two reasons why, and I'll, and I'll be honest. Our mission is to unite, educate, promote and preserve, right? Well, one of those words is not commonly used or practiced around here, and that is uniting. Too many places and venues are segregated, and my goal for this is to unite all of them. No ifs, ands, or buts at this point, because, you know, at this point, we all need to help each other. So, that then being said, I'm also the ambassador for the Massachusetts Blues Hall of Fame. And I'm not saying anything bad about them. It's good to be structured, okay? It's good to be structured, but too, too much structure causes issues, because you know, something like this, merging all the music together would never happen. The only person that really inspired me to do this was Lefty Foster and what he did with the Shabu. Because the Shabu is what was a melting pot. My goal was to it is try and make it so it's 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 a traveling melting pot. We can, we can go anywhere. I also made it so that we have no ties to any building. There's no brick and mortar building. I, want, I don't want that. I, I want it so that it represents New England. So let's just say we go to the Shaolin Loo, which is over in Rockport, Massachusetts. We inducted Paula Cole there. Paula Cole is up for a potential Grammy nomination. I would absolutely love to do a concert there. Say we go to the Kate. The Kate's a beautiful place in Old Saybrook, Connecticut, which we inducted Money Waters and Muddy Waters' son there. I would absolutely love to work with them. Toad's Place. I mean, Fenway Park. These places are great places for concerts. So why don't we utilize them? Why don't we treat it like it's... And In my mind, I was thinking, okay, well, Harriet Tugman had the Underground Railroad. What if we have the Music Railroad? What if we have different stations throughout New England where we can have concerts? And we help endorse those stations by promoting them you know the Knickerbocker I love the Nick. the Nick is great and Wesley legendary jam sessions went there with people like Stevie Ray Vaughan and and B.B. King and stuff like Hmm. these things have to be remembered preserving the history is the most important part because everyone has forgotten about it because no one wrote it down there is a book though uh, um, and I can't remember who wrote it but uh, it's actually a significant amount of detail as to what's happened in New England but what I'm doing with all these inductions and with all these people we're inducting I'm also recording I'm a filmmaker on the side so I, I have a A a nice video library of everyone's inductions, uh, interviews and and stuff like that. And right now I'm talking to Karen Kramer, who's Stanley Kramer's daughter. And we may do a nice documentary to help benefit the the Covenant Shelter, which is a shelter that the Shabu helps every year to do a world debut and, and talk about uh, the importance of music because it's it music's everywhere even if you're out in the street you still hear music and that's the thing that heals that's the common thing that will, will will mold everyone so going back to uniting people if we can unite people to understand one another more which is what this event is on november 27th nobody acknowledges native american music well who are the first americans here in native america okay they also don't properly acknowledge their Native people's Native American heritage either. So I'm trying to have it so that we can both educate people and unite them in the same aspect for this wonderful event, because we're now finally honoring a man who, who deserves to be honored, who has not gotten the, the recognition he, he's deserved. And Joseph Firecrow is the most down-to-earth, kindest person you could ever meet. Uh Thomasina knows him a lot more. And actually, I, I do
2: believe you won a NAMI for his last song, correct? Yeah. Tell us more about your relationship with Joseph Firecrow, Thomasina.
1: I met Joe at the Warner Theatre. I don't remember what the year was, but there was some kind of an event where we were part of the performers at this event. That was me and Joe and some other musicians that we all went on stage one at a time. I really don't remember why it was so long ago. But I remember sitting down in the green room with him, and I had never met him before, and he was in his full regalia in this beautiful, beautiful buckskin outfit that his brother had made for him, hand-sewed and made the fringes and the beadwork. And, he, and I sat next to him, talking to him, and he was just so sweet. I mean, just this, this sweet, loving man, very humble. And I just, we just became friends after that. And, uh, we did, um, so I did several recordings that he was on. One was out of many, we are one. I wrote, I wrote that piece with Joan Spear, another Connecticut musician. We took president Obama's, um, phrases from some of his speeches and created a song. And it became a community event where Joe Firecrow and Joan and me and David Darling, other musicians all donated their time to creating the song. And that was the first NAMA award that I won um, with Joe on it. And NAMA is Native American Music Awards. And um, and he was just, when I called him up, he says, of course, I'll, I'll come and I'll do it. And there was no charge. and. Other people pushed back and wanted money and we said, well, it's really a community event, no thank you. And then David Darling and I, and before he passed away, did a recording together an in all instrumental called Parallel Universe is an album. And one of the songs that I composed is called Walk in Beauty. And Walk in Beauty is actually the title of a Native American chant. It goes, now I walk in beauty. Beauty is before me, beauty is behind me, above and below me. And, uh, but it was an instrumental and he brought his flutes. And he was, that's when I realized how sick he was. He came in and he had oxygen tank accompanying him. And that was the beginning of, I think, his real decline. It might've been maybe the last recording he did. I think it was. And we won the NAMA award again. He had passed away
2: by the time we won that NAMO award. He's being inducted posthumously into, obviously, the Music Hall of Fame. How do you think, he, you know, what, what do you think, Thomasina he would think about that being inducted into the Music Hall of Fame?
1: I think he would love it. Who wouldn't want to be recognized for your accomplishments? You know, he worked really hard. I mean, he was a full time musician. He traveled all over the country and all over the world with his flutes and he lived in a very humble house. His wife was his manager and they they weren't they didn't have fancy cars or anything they but he was dedicated to his music. He was dedicated to his flute. He was dedicated to his tribe. He was the real deal. He walked the walk, talked the talk and really walked in beauty every day.
2: Chris, tell us a little bit more about this event on November 27th. We've spoken extensively about the fact that Joseph Firecrow will be posthumously inducted into the Music Hall of Fame. Give us a little bit of a taste of what else is happening on the night and and more importantly as well, how people can support and be there. Okay,
3: so it's going to be the world debut of the New England Music Hall of Fame All-Star Band, which is going to be led by endorsed drummer Kathy Steele. The band will include Paul Gabriel, uh, who's a multi award-winning multi-Hall of Famer. Bob Orsi, who's in the legendary Scratch Band with the original G.E. Smith from the Saturday Night Live Band. Steve Daggett, uh, he's a Native American artist who's actually uh, out of Groton, Connecticut, and uh, he sings country music. Sister Funk, groundbreaking all-female band, phenomenal. Of course, Thomas Sina. Eastern Medicine Singers are going to be performing, and that's with uh, Daryl Black Eagle Jameson. And they're going to be doing a lot of traditional music. And there's going to be some uh, dancing as well. I have one of Charlie Doñez, and she's a uh, Native American dancer. Brian Keene, he's an Emmy Award winning composer who worked with Joseph Firecrow. He's going to be there, along with Angel Orsini. She's going to be uh, hosting it. She's actually a pro wrestler. She's the co-founder of the New England Music Hall of Fame. And uh, NPC uh, physique competitor, um, Nicky Motion. Now, also Bobby Trello is going to be stopping by. Who's Johnny Winner's drummer? He's going to be coming by, and he's he might even jam with the band. I'm not quite sure, but uh, so far rumor has been said that he'd be stopping by. That's about it for right now. But there's going to be a lot of music. There's going to be a lot of there's going to be vendors beforehand at four o'clock. A portion of the proceeds are going to be going to a Native American veterans a nonprofit. And that's based out of Rhode Island. I'm going to try and find the website for you, real quick. <laughs> it's called uh, Honoring Indigenous uh, Vets, and it's
2: www.honoringindigenousvets.org to both of you. It's been great talking to you. Sorry that we have to end it there. We've only sort of really scratched the surface, but it sounds like it's going to be a fabulous event on November 27th. You can also find more details about the New England Music Hall of Fame at their website, which is nemhof.com. And of course, you can also find out more about the lovely Thomasina Levy at her website, and that's Thomasina Levy, the T H O M A S I N A L E V Y dot com. To you both, continued success, Chris. A phenomenal work you're doing out there, Thomasina. It's been great uh, talking to you, and obviously continued success with everything that you do in the promotion of music here in Connecticut. And uh, again, also to you, Chris, and thanks to both of you for joining us on Connecticut East this week.
1: Thank you so much, Brian.
2: Thanks. Appreciate it. Since recording the interview with Chris and Thomasina, the event mentioned in the interview has changed venue. And if you'd like to go along and support it and hear some great music too, and see the induction ceremony as well, the New England Hall of Fame Food Drive, as it's now known, is on November 27th at St. Mark's Church, 15 Pearl Street, Mystic, Connecticut, with reception starting at 4pm and the main ceremony starting at 7pm. Do go along and support this worthy cause.
0: Wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control?
2: You know, you could hit
0: pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes
2: awareness partners.
0: Got deer problems? Let us help. With Green Valley Tree LLC's Deer Preventive Spray, guaranteed to keep deer away from your precious plants, bushes and trees for up to six months with cold weather on its way deer will be looking for sources of food don't let your front and backyards become their pantry call green valley tree today at 860 234 4041 or visit us at greenvalleytreeworks.com
2: Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region. The City of New London was the only member of the Connecticut Port Authority Board to vote no to a planned $3.5 million payment to the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environment at a recent CPA board meeting in connection with the New London State Peer Project. Felix Reyes is Director of Economic Development for New London and gave his reasons at the meeting.
3: Stress like the City of New London, where you've got almost know, five million dollars uh, that can be spread easily along a coastal city like ours, is going to the majority of our affluent town. Just want that for the record. And I think, from the CPA's perspective, I think this is a conversation we got to have moving forward. With deep, this just has to be a better disbursement of funds, I and mean, there's absolutely no equity um, in this at all.
2: Michael Passero, the mayor of the city of New London, said he's disappointed with the results of the vote and that DEEP has totally ignored the city and any mitigation projects they have. Right next door to the state pier is Winthrop Cove and feeding
3: Winthrop Cove is Briggs Brooks and both of these areas are extremely environmentally important and they need a lot of work. They need a lot of remediation. Why that money isn't
0: being spent right there where the impact is happening is, uh, is mind-boggling.
2: DEP doesn't seem to even have given us any consideration whatsoever. The Port Authority is required to pay DEEP the money as part of a condition for a work permit issued by them. The money is to help fund fish habitat restoration projects as mitigation for coastal resource impacts. DEEP has earmarked none of the money for the City of New London, despite the fact parts of its coastline will be affected by the state pier project. 300 local residents from New London County receive free dental work at the Connecticut Mission of Mercy's 14th Free Dental Clinic. Dr Gregory Toback headed up the team in New London and says because COVID-19 closed dentists and hospitals, many patients they're seeing have far worse dental issues than normal. Patients who've
3: been waiting for an opportunity to be treated for dental emergencies, they have teeth that are broken down, they're in pain, they have infections, and this mission is providing their first opportunity to get in to have some of the work done, and we're talking about a population in need, with special emphasis at this mission on our veterans.
2: Josephine Bicknell is the clinical director of the mission and says because COVID-19 is still a major cause, they had to reduce the number of people they were able to help this year.
1: Normally, we see children this year. We had to limit it to 16 and above. It's anyone who can't afford the cost of care. They're welcome to come on down. We don't ask for proof of income, but anyone who truly cannot afford the cost of care, we're here to help. And that's all we want to do. We just want to help.
2: The Free Dental Clinic is staffed by dentists from across the state, and the mission is funded by local companies and organizations. Normally, larger mission events dealing with more patients give dental services in the sum of over $375,000 to those on low income. A new $2.5 million Veterans Rally Point Centre has opened in Norwich. Robin Sharp is the CEO of the nonprofit Easter Seals Capital Region and Eastern Connecticut who run the new centre and explained its purpose.
0: So what we've done here is create kind of a one-of-a-kind centre that brings together everything from veteran services, legal counsel, case management, medical screening, health and wellness, employment services all under one roof with an incredible fitness center, commercial kitchen, and maker space. So really kind of addressing any need a veteran might have, mind, body, spirit.
2: Guests included local legislators, active military, and local veterans. Among them was Christopher Porter, a U.S. Air Force veteran who said it meant a lot to him and every veteran in the state.
0: Validation, all the hard work and all the dedication and sacrifice that myself and other veterans like me that have put forth and came back and now we're being appreciated. It feels nice. It means a
2: lot. The centre is open to veterans young and old and will help younger veterans who are looking to advance their careers after leaving military service. Rally Point is a term known to military personnel as a designated place to meet up as a mission unfolds. Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, or Pura, has approved a settlement agreement negotiated by state officials that requires Clearview Electric to pay half a million dollars and voluntarily withdraw from the Connecticut electric supplier market for six years, as well as reimbursing certain customers in resolution of claims that the company violated electric supplier marketing laws. The Bureau Commissioners issued a motion ruling from the Authority's Office of Education Outreach and Enforcement, which requested approval of the settlement agreement. The resolution of Clearview's alleged violations marks another significant contribution from the Authority's Office of Education, Outreach and Enforcement, which has led enforcement of more than $1.73 million in electric supplier settlement payments and more than $52,000 in restitution credits to customers since it commenced operations in July 2020 in the Connecticut Examiner this week after announcing a formal investigation into Jeffrey Respler to consider whether to disqualify him from bidding on state contracts David Guy, executive director of the State Contracting Standards Board, said the pending decision would not affect Respler's agreement with the town of Groton to redevelop the vacant Mystic Oral School property. Respler signed an agreement with the town of Grotton in February 2020 and was later revealed to have pled guilty to four misdemeanor counts of conspiracy in 2004 related to a contract to install water meters for the city of New York, a fact that could have been used to justify disqualifying him from state contracts. The inquiry is unprecedented, according to Guy, who said that the board has not held a hearing on disqualifying a contractor since it was formed in 2013. Guy said that although the investigation began in response to complaints regarding the agreement with the town, the board does not have jurisdiction over the actual contract. In the day this week, roughly a quarter of the East Lyme High School population walked out of class recently as a dozen students stood before them to ask for their help in addressing racism and other forms of discrimination. Tori Bozzelli, a biracial junior and an organiser of The Walkout, said she appreciated the students who came out in support of those who have been struggling with discrimination since they were born. Based on 2020-2021 data compiled by the State Department of Education, there were 1,010 students enrolled in the high school. Of those, 15 were black, 67 were Latino, 96 were Asian and 59 were two or more races. Buselli acknowledged society won't change immediately, but the hope is that we can reach out and get help putting an effort to change things, she said. The walkout was a visible manifesto of a recent study that found East Lyme public schools had reached the tipping point for change. It refers to the social science theory that at least one quarter of a community's population needs to take a stand if change is going to happen. The students who spoke from the football field bleachers at the roughly hour-long event shared the belief that the administration is not doing enough to denounce discrimination. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, days after being sworn in as the newly elected Plainfield town clerk, Brenda Miller reached out to town officials to tender her resignation. First Selectman Kevin Cunningham said Miller emailed him notifying him of her intention to resign, stating her old job had offered her more money to stay. Based on advice from state election officials, Cunningham said he asked Miller to formally mail him a resignation letter, which she did. Miller, a Republican, beat her Democratic challenger for the job, Patrice David, on election day, with 1,732 votes to 996 votes. The previous town clerk, Barbie Gardner, did not run for the position this election cycle, but said she might be coming back for a short time to help cover the position while the situation is resolved. In the Middletown Press this week, those who give blood are marked by bravery, conviction, courage, determination, honesty, integrity, and other characteristics that make them heroes in the mind of Rhode Island Blood Centre Senior Executive Director Bo Tompkins. He spoke during the grand opening of the Connecticut Blood Centre. In Middletown, a primary supplier of 50,000 blood products annually to more than a dozen Connecticut hospitals that has just opened at 820 Washington Street in the Staples Plaza. The nonprofit organization held a ribbon-cutting recently for its 5,000-square-foot location, where donors can give their red cells, platelets and plasma. And in the Chronicle this week, the Lebanon farmer's market will soon be spruced up due to additional funding from the American Rescue Plan Act. The Lebanon Board of Selectmen unanimously authorized the funding for the town farmers' market at a recent meeting. The funding is for up to $10,000 over two years. The American Rescue Plan Act was approved in response to the negative impacts the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the nation's municipalities. Lebanon received around $2 million from the American Rescue Plan Act. The board chose to authorise the funds as the market is an asset to the community and provides low-income people with an affordable place to buy food.